Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, uh, lead pastor here, and really glad you are worshiping with us today. And we are getting ready for Easter. We're in the middle of a series. It's going to lead us up to Easter, which is in two weeks, April the 9th. And I just kind of want to, if you were here last week, we mentioned it, we'll probably mention it again for until Easter. Um, we got three services, uh, 8.30, 10, and 11.30, and encourage you to come to the 8.30 or the 11.30. Uh, we've got uh, kids ministry zero all the way through Roots and the 8.30 and the 10. Um, we've got kids through all three, um, zero through sixth grade. Uh, would love for you to be a part of that. Would love for you to think about people you can invite. It's one of the times that people are very willing and open to uh, connecting people who are distant from God, who aren't connected to church. Uh, would just love for you to invite them, be a part. And we are, we're going to need some more people than we normally would in our kids' ministry and our hospitality teams. And so I would encourage you, if you are not part of a serving team, to let us know that you're available um, on that day. Uh, you can do that. You fill out a card. You can talk to the people at the Connect Desk. You can do that online at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. But we're going to need to start filling those spots so that we can make sure we've got enough people to love our kids and to greet people really well. Uh, really excited about that day. I've mentioned this many times before, but... Uh, we are the kind of church that gets really excited about people who only come to church once a year. We just consider it a privilege uh, to be able to love them, love their families, and to share Jesus with them. So we're looking forward to that, worshiping together, and also just a great outreach to our community. And so we are, we are in the middle of this series. We're talking about um, a better hope. And we're going to see the verse where that, where that phrase actually comes from here in a little bit, and it got me thinking about this thing that was, I, I've started to embrace, I've started to embrace the fact that I still think of myself as way younger than I am, but it's fine. I'm old, I'm getting old, getting older, I, I, I get it. And so I'm just going to just start talking about, I'm, I'm more comfortable talking about things that just date me completely. How many of you are in fact old enough to remember something uh, uh, called the Pepsi Challenge? Like you, like you lived it, right? It was, start, I looked it up to make sure. It was like, it started in 1975. And um, I had pretty vivid memories of this when I was in elementary school. Um, and what this was, was Coke then, and you know, still is, kind of the dominant brand of soda over Pepsi. And so I, this is front of my mind because my wife, she works for a market research company. It turns out kind of the, the founder of her company, her, her boss's boss's boss, right? Or whatever, it was like instrumental in this happening. And so, and so what they would do is like they would do these blind taste tests, like they would set up in like grocery stores or whatever, a blind taste test with, with two different things of soda and you would taste both, not knowing it was. And it turns out people were picking Pepsi over Coke and they would just go around there and they were promos. And as, he, as a six and seven year old, even like at that age, I was like, 
I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. And it turns out the study was highly flawed. And there was a whole, I got lost. I got lost in the internet looking this up the other day. But it was about how, how it was awful. But anyways, and, and my brother and I, so out of Perignon, you know, 1977 or something. I've been six. He'd have been 12. We were like, we always wanted to go to the grocery store with mom when she would go shopping. Why? Because we thought there was a chance, just a chance, that not only would the Pepsi Challenge be there, but that we could beat it by, of course, endorsing Coke, which was better. As if, as if corporate Pepsi was going to spend one amount, any amount of money to send a, a commercial crew or anyone to the Brookshire's in El Dorado, Arkansas. And then I, they, they did, it just wasn't happening. But we were convinced that we we're going to be able to, 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 to do this. And apparently, you know, people were picking Pepsi. And apparently, and we're just, this is what you came here for, right? History of uh, sodas in 70s and 80s. Anyways, um, Coke believed this, that there was something wrong. And so they, how many remember this? You can be a little bit younger. Remember New Coke? Anybody? New Coke? Still the same old people. Okay, fine, fine. Coke, Coke changed its formula and just got rid of Coke and came out with this thing called New Coke, which in fact did taste more like Pepsi, but it wasn't Coke. And people were furious, furious. To the point to where like they, they, they retracted, and but they started offering both. There was New Coke and then Coke Classic, Coke Classic, right? Had them both together and eventually just got rid of New Coke altogether. And they called it Coke Classic there for, that's, that's, that's just Coke again, right? But there was this thing like, it's like what, if, what, if it's, what if it's not good enough? And, and you got this thing with Pepsi, it's like, we're better than you, than you, than you think that you are. We're, we're good, give, give, give us a chance. And Coke is like, maybe, maybe we, can be, we can be better. You can just kind of see this kind of striving and this battle that's going on between them. You know, for me, I've seen it for 40 years now. I've been watching this. And um, we have that same sort of just kind of weird striving in us of just like, am, am, I, do, am I doing this right? Am, am, I, am I doing life right? Am, am, I, am I good Am, am, am I doing the right things? Am, am I becoming the right person? And we, and we have this thing and we, we find ourselves very often just kind of in this weird striving, thinking that we're, what we're doing is we're not good enough or we kind of give in. Like, I'm, 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 I'm never going to be good enough. And we're, and we're trying to figure out where life is. Where is it? Where, where, can, I really, where can I really find it? And for the people that the, the author of Hebrews is talking to, they grew up. They grew up in this tradition. They grew up in a Jewish tradition. And they, they followed all these Jewish rules and followed all these Jewish laws. And, and then they found Jesus. And they found what they, what they thought, at least. was that they, they found this, this better hope, this, this better way of connecting. But then they get there and then, and then they find themselves slowly starting to drift back. Well, may, may, maybe this was better. Maybe, maybe this was better all along. And the, and the author here is like, listen, you know, you, you know how you grew up. And you know that it wasn't working. And you found this better hope in Jesus. Why are you now drifting back to this thing that is not, that he's going he's to say, we'll see you today. There's, there's no real hope at all. And we find ourselves today in the passage is in Hebrews chapter 7. And in Hebrews chapter 7, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do this thing. Very often in passages like this, kind of the big idea, you find it in the middle. And we can either work our way through it or sometimes we'll do this. We'll just kind of start in the middle and work our way out. Because not only is this big idea found in the middle of this passage, but we really find ourselves in the middle of the book altogether. 
where there's a big idea that he is trying to get across to them as they find themselves having experienced Jesus but drifting away and like very similar to us, and we, we think, man, like, we spend a whole lot of time, like, I can, I can do this on my own. I can do life on my own. Wait, I need Jesus. And then we drift back into, maybe I got to do this on my own. And this is the big idea that he has for them. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Now, you lose no points by not having any idea what that's talking about, right? It's, it's very insider language for them. It's just kind of, it's kind of, kind of strangely phrased. But I promise you, we're going to kind of dive into this. And there is an incredible, deep, powerful truth here. So what is he saying? He's like, if perfection could have been attained by the Levitical priesthood, that word Levitical, um, talking about the, the Jewish tribe of Levi. So you know, there were the, kind of these 12 patriarchs there that kind of started the, uh, these 12 tribes of Israel. They were all brothers. And one of the brothers was Levi. And it was kind of, it was kind of a decided... Um, during the time where the Old Testament law was given, that all of the priests were going to come from the tribe of Levi. And so if you were from the tribe of Levi, you were in a priestly family, and that all the priests were from Levi, and you were only a priest if you were from Levi. And so the Levitical priesthood, that's just kind of a way of saying, the priest that came from the tribe of Levi, they kind of represent this Old Testament system of you do something bad, you have to follow all these rules. If you break one of these rules, you have to do this sacrifice. You do the sacrifice, you can get back even with God, and you have to follow all of these rules. So what he's saying, if perfection could be attained that way, if you could achieve what you need to achieve with God, you, you can be perfect, your sin can be done away with, you can be in right standing with God. Any number of ways is a phrase. If it worked, if you could be perfect with this Levitical priesthood, then why did, Jesus, why did God have to send another priest? Why would he have to do it? If this was working, why did God do this? Why did God have to send someone else? And who he's referring to, he's talking about Jesus. If, if the Old Testament rules could work, if you could get perfect on your own, if, you, if by following rules and doing all the sacrifices, what you needed to, to gain and maintain a relationship with God, if that worked, why did he have to send Jesus? Which I believe, and we'll say it this way, I think this is a, an incredibly important question for us to ask and answer. If being good can save you, why did Jesus come? If there's all sorts of different ways to God, if by following certain teachings, if by following certain rules, if living a certain way, if being a certain kind of person, if that's good enough, why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to come? Because people were fine. Like, you understand? Like, hey, you know, you just try to live a good life and God will, God will look at that and say, good job, buddy. And while we may not be gravitating back towards following Old Testament law, what, we've, what we tend to gravitate towards, whether we think about it in these terms explicitly or not, it's kind of like those old kind of, those balancing scales 
We think about it as like, what? I mean, how are you and God doing? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, I do more good things than bad things. I'm, I'm, a relative, I'm a good person. And we think as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm fine. Or maybe, I mean, not, not just a little bit. It needs to be a lot. Like, I'm a much better person. Or I'm a better person than other people. We think about it in those terms. This is kind of what we revert back to. And if that were good enough, why did Jesus have to come? If all you had to do was be a relatively good person or a better person than the people, some of the people that you know, why did Jesus have to come? This is what he's asking them. You know that Jesus had to come and you know that this other thing, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. And so in order for this to make sense, in order for it to make sense that these people need to think, that these people need to think, I've got to go back to following all these rules, what they did was is they began to diminish who Jesus was. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, that's where it started. With him just kind of straight out of the gate talking about how incredible and powerful Jesus is and how he is in fact God himself. He's not just, he's not just some teacher He's not just next in the list of prophets, guys. And that's where they had it in their brains. Well, Jesus had some cool things to add to this, this, this puzzle that I have about how to be a good enough person to please God and live life. And too many of us, especially out there, but even a lot of us in here, we kind of do that where we just kind of have this kind of pick and choose kind of recipe that we're making or it's like, well, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live life and I need a little bit of God in my life. And, and so I'm going to take, I'm going to take detachment from Buddhism. I'm going to take karma from Hinduism. I'm going to take devotion from Islam. I'm going to take kindness from Jesus. And I'm going to take this, I'm going to put it all together and put this, put this mixture together that allows me to then, well, now I can be a good person. I can please God. I can live the life that I'm supposed to. And like, I somehow, by my own creation, by my own activity, by my own goodness, I can have hope in this life and in the next. And it just doesn't make sense. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to come and not just to give us more teaching, not just to be the next in line of a, of, a, of a long line of prophets, but to, as the Son of God, to sacrifice himself so that we might have life. And that is essential. And because that is essential, we need to get out of this mindset that says that being good can save you, which is this thing that they're drifting towards, which honestly, so many of us are always drifting towards. How is your relationship with God? You immediately go, how am I doing? What am I doing? Am I being a good person? We think of life. We think of hope. We think of heaven. We think of being right with God here, living the good life. Like it's about, it's about who I am and what I do. And we minimize and diminish what Jesus did and how essential it is to our life, and it is, in fact, the greater hope. And so he used, he's, as he's talking about this, he says this, and he, and he says it, again, in a, in a weird way. So again, he's talking about, hey, you can't achieve it through the Levitical priesthood. Why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek? Now, 
I'm just going to skip past that, right? Because we all are fully familiar with who Melchizedek is and his significance in the Bible, right? We, we, can, just, we can just skip past that, right? We're just all in, all in agreement. We, yeah, Melchizedek. I'm, I'm, all right, I'm right there. No one knows who that is, right? And so he's, he, he says this, and this comes from a story. So we'll just ask the question. We'll ask it this way. Who is that? Who is Melchizedek? And, it's, and it's, an, it's a metaphor that he is going to use. If you ever study all the book of Hebrews, he used it over and over again. And the story comes from Genesis chapter 14. And it comes from the story of Abraham. And Abraham was kind of the, the person that God picked out to become the father of a great nation. And so the Jew, you know, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And some people are like, well, that's not fair that he picked them to be his, his chosen people, which is not what happened. He picked one guy and said, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to make my nation, I'm going to make my people out of you. And this is who Abraham is. So he's the father of this entire uh, religion, the father of this entire race of people. He's kind of revered above everyone else. And so before there was an Old Testament law, before there was the sacrifices and all these things, um, We've got this story, and he is, he is, he's waging this war. His, 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 his nephew has been kidnapped, and he's waging this war to try to get him back. And so God gives him, and his army gives him victory, and, and he wins. And as he's coming back, this is what happens. Um, and and um, Hebrews 7 kind of repeats a lot of the story. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever." And so after this war, this, he just, this guy comes out to meet Abraham and blesses him. And in response, um, Abraham gives him a tithe, gives him 10% of everything that he has. Which is just, when you, when you, it's just, it's just weird, especially for the original readers of that story in Genesis. Because this is before there was, you know, the, the, the tithe that they were supposed to give to the Levites, the priests. No, no one, there, were, there weren't any real priests at this one. This is the first time we kind of get this idea. This guy's a priest. He's a priest of the Most High God. But he's not, he's not a Jewish person. There aren't even any Jewish people around. Like, how, he's just this mysterious figure. And the way that Abraham responds to him is like, he, he receives this blessing. And, and, and essentially what feels like an act of worship gives him a tenth of what he has. And so the point that the author here is trying to make, it's like we've got these priests and they tell you what to do and they tell you what the rules are. And if you break a rule, they tell you how to, how to, how to make up for it by following these certain sacrifices. And we've had them. We have, we've had them for generations. We've had them from the time of Moses, just generation after generation, year after year after year after year. We have all these priests that are doing all these things. And we know that it wasn't working. And what we don't need is one more of those. We don't need another generation of that. We need a priest on a different level. Someone greater than that. Someone who is beyond that. Someone who is so great that even the father of our entire family, our entire race, when comes before him, is overwhelmed, receives this blessing unconditionally, 
and feels like all I can do is give him my full devotion. Someone beyond just someone who's going to help you learn how to enforce rules. We need something deeper and greater than that. And then in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 7, he says this. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect, which is an interesting thing here. This is not just someone who is outside. This is a Jewish author who is saying this. It's like, I grew up in this. My parents grew up in this. This has been part of my family for generations. And trying to follow rules to get right with God, it is weak and useless. People have been trying it as long as we've been around. And it's not working. And just because we take the Jewish out of it and we take the sacrifices out of it, it's the same thing for us. No one has been able to attain relationship and good standing with God just by being, trying to be good enough and trying to make up for bad things by doing good things because it minimizes the significance of what sin is. And it minimizes the significance of the sacrifice of what Jesus did. So the formula regulation set aside, it was weak, it was useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So do not think of Jesus as the next in line to kind of tell you what the rules are and how to make up for the bad things that you do if you accidentally break one of the rules. Jesus is not the next person to say, oh, you kind of were thinking about the rules like this, but really the rules are more about being kind to other people. It's more about kindness and, and forgiveness than it is about rule following. Okay, we're not just simply replacing one set of rules with a more enlightened set of rules. Jesus did teach kindness. He did teach forgiveness. He taught compassion, but we are not just simply adding him to the next list of people who are telling us what the rules are. It wasn't that the Old Testament laws were an incomplete puzzle and the piece that we needed was, but you need to be more compassionate. You need to be kinder. You need to stop thinking about these rules and start thinking about more these rules, more lovey rules, more than regulation rules. That's not what's happening here. This better hope comes when Jesus comes and the sacrifice that he made because it is not about being good enough. And so he describes it here. And again, this is the phrase right here in the middle of this passage and in the middle of this, of this book where we kind of just kind of got this whole idea for this series that the hope that we have in Jesus is a better hope. It is a better hope for them than following the, the rules and regulations. And it is a better hope for us than the things that we're striving for. So we ask this question, how? How is the hope of Jesus greater? We understand where they're finding their hope, right? They're, finding, they're trying to find their hope and their rules and their regulations. Where is it we tend to try to find ours? And I'll tell you a story where we were yesterday. Uh, uh, my wife, Heidi, and our 11-year-old daughter, Layla, yesterday, we, we'd been in the Hot Springs area for a few days over spring break. And on Saturday, we went to the Crater of Diamonds. 
the, the diamond mine down there in Murfreesboro, Arkansas. Who's, who's been diamond hunting? Who found a diamond and got rich? <laughs> I, I don't see any hands, but I was like, you, here's the thing. Like, you just knew, like, like we're driving down there, and Layla, Layla, I mean, she already, not only has she already found a diamond in her mind, she's already spent the money. She's already uh, told us that we don't get any. But the interesting thing is she kept just talking about how she was going to buy her, she was going to buy a car and buy car insurance with it, which I'm like, that is absolutely great. If you pay for your, when you turn 16, if you pay for your own car insurance, that is gold as far as I'm concerned. Anyways, so she, she's got a, she, she, she's, she's so excited. And you get down there, I was going, I had been there before that neither one uh, of them had. And so you just kind of have this anticipation, this, this excitement that it's going to be this awesome thing. And you get there and you can tell that there are some people here, it seems like maybe they're professionals. Like maybe, like maybe this is their job. If not, it is, it's, more than, it's more than a hobby. They come in with all the gear and they have, this, they have this complicated system and you can tell that they are working it and they are putting everything into this. And then you've got, at least me, you got the casuals. Like I'm, just, I mean, it's just, it's just dirt. We're just digging around in dirt. I have no, I, no, no expectations that somehow I'm going to find a diamond. I don't even have any expectations that if I, that I would know it if I saw one, right? I mean, it's like there's a. I was like, what if, what if we saw a diamond yesterday and we didn't even know it? I'm like, stop. And she's like, how many diamonds do you think that we touched and we didn't even know they were diamonds? Zero, right? I mean, it's like, and, and so. So you got these people who are super into it. You got these casuals. But the interesting thing about this is that it has this allure to it. What if? What if? What if we were to find one, and then we could get this, di- and then we, and 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 then we'd have this treasure. How much money do you think it would be worth? And somehow we think that somehow you know, it, it, it's it's going to make everything it's gonna make everything better. And you see that same sort of allure with, with people, lottery tickets. If you've ever been to a casino, if you've ever been to horse races, all of these things, you've got people who are just insanely into it. And you're like, man, you, that, that, there's something wrong with that. And you've got some people who talk about it like it's, like, a, like it's just a game. I'm just playing this game. It's just kind of fun. But in the middle, you have these people who are just like strangely drawn in. Because it comes from this place of, this isn't working. This isn't working. And I am just one break away. One good break away of fame or fortune or power. And if the numbers just hit, if the scratch just comes right, if the horse comes in, if I just happen to find this diamond, then, then my life can be. And I am just one bit of fortune and luck away. And I hope, and so I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the convenience store one more time. And don't tell me that the odds are in the trillions. Because it's not that, it's, it's, it's this hope that I cling to. That somehow, I'm just one break away from experiencing real life. And we judge the people who that's all that they have while we kind of sit here in this weird middle of, yeah, I know I need, I need God a little, but if you ask me what makes me hopeful that life can be better, 
it's fame, it's fortune, it's a little bit of luck, a little bit of something. But Jesus is in fact the greater hope, the better hope. And he gives us like three different reasons for this. Hebrews 7, verse 20. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he came a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. If you were a dude and you were born into the Levite tribe, your great, 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 granddad happened to be Levi. He's like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a priest. Hey, I think I want to be a farmer. I think I want to, you're a priest. You're a priest. You didn't, you didn't have any choice. If you weren't a Levi, you didn't get to be a priest. And if you were from the tribe of Levi, you had to be a priest. Wasn't because they wanted to, wasn't because they chose to. It was, it was decided for them. But Jesus, on the other hand, swore an oath. I promise I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to give myself to you. I am a priest that is intervening for you with God, not because I was born into it, not because I had to, not because he didn't have any other options, but he swore that he was going to dedicate his life so that you might have life. Verse 23, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. There have been lots of priests. Generation after generation, they had kids, they had kids, had kids, had kids, had kids. We've, we've seen thousands of them. There's plenty of them. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's not gonna do a partial job. He didn't just have a few words to say and then walk away. He is constantly interceding on your behalf. And, and the thing that he did, he died, he came back to life and he will now live forever. And he forever is your priest. He is forever committed to you. He died for you. He sacrificed himself for you. He is a permanent reminder to God the Father of the sacrifice that was made. And you, have, you, you, you do not have to have any doubt that Jesus is 100% with you because he is eternal and he is constantly interceding for you. Verse 26. And such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. These, these priests, before they could take your sacrifice to make up for your sin, they had to do it themselves. I got, I got to get myself right with God before I can even talk to you about yours. And I think about this for me. I get up here almost every week and I start talking to you about how you can have a better relationship with God, things you need to understand, like the, to explaining in different ways the gospel of Jesus and how to connect fully with him. I mean, listen to me. I mean, listen to me if you want to. And I'm not trying to minimize what I do, but I do want you to understand. I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy. He's got his own things. And all the people who are telling you how to live, 
how to have hope. Where life is, it's just other people trying to figure it out the best that they can. It's what he's saying. He's like, man, you got these priests. They're helping best they can. But first they got to help themselves. But then, let me tell you about Jesus. He's perfect. He's holy. He doesn't have anything to atone for for himself. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't have to get right with God. He is God. And so because he is pure, he is holy, he is blameless, when he sacrifices himself for you on your behalf, it matters, it counts, it will endure forever. You're not just talking about some guy giving you the keys to life, modeling something to you in some way. We're talking about a pure and holy, blameless advocate for you, sacrificing himself on your behalf. Not making sacrifices for you, making himself the sacrifice. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Once for everyone and once for all time. Nothing needs to be repeated. No work needs to continue to be done by you. And you don't have to live under the anxiety, the uncertainty of whether or not there's something better out there. The uncertainty or the anxiety about whether or not I can be good enough. We already know that we can't be good enough. That was the point of the whole first priesthood in the first place. Which is why we didn't need more of that. We needed more of this, this other type of priest. One with better hope. And because he swore to you and he swore to God, I will be their advocate. I will be their priest forever. I can trust him. And because he lives forever, I know that the hope that he offers me is eternal. And because he has no flaws or sin of himself to deal with, I know that his sacrifice for me counts once for all. I don't have to keep coming back. I don't have to keep worrying about whether or not I'm good enough because Jesus, this priest, this better priest with the better hope, he sacrificed himself for me. And let us, as we, as, 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 as we sit here today and as we prepare and we think about what is coming with Easter, let us allow this better hope to sink in in a deep and powerful way. Let me pray. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.